a year ago, we were looking for top accelerators in the country to join and uh, accepted a position here at Capital Factory here in Austin. Packed the car, packed up the dogs in the U-Haul and decided to move from Miami Beach over to Austin to be part of this amazing tech ecosystem that we have here. Uh, better access to capital, very, very smart people, University of Texas uh, students, and, and just this uh, very strong ecosystem of advisors, mentors that we have here at Capital Factory. That's Marcos Cunha. He's the founder and CEO of UROAM, and he's also the Code 2040 Entrepreneur Residence at Capital Factory, located in Austin, Texas. This season of Techpreneurs is packed with advice like this. Take the approach, take the leap, go out and seek mentors and advisors that are going to help you along the way. Build that network of people that can, uh, can be there for you and can keep you positive. Get rid of anybody that says no and you're not going to do it and use that fuel to really burn that uh, fire that uh, is in you to go out and create that company. You're listening to Techpreneurs, a podcast about the stories of tech entrepreneurs. My name is Clark Buckner. This episode highlights Marcos Cunha with his story in tech and his advice to other techpreneurs. Here's a quick snapshot of what UROAM does. UROAM lets you make and receive calls on your own cell phone number anywhere in the world while avoiding crazy roaming and long distance bills. So when you call people, it's your regular US number globally. When you uh, when people call your cell phone number, it rings all over the world for free. He starts off here talking a little about his excitement for being a Code 2040 entrepreneur residence. It's an absolute honor. It's, it's insane that I, I was chosen, you know, there's seven of us chosen out of some 240 applicants. And, and the fact that I got picked was uh, surprising because as a, as a tech entrepreneur, you end up applying to a lot of things, just like, like you're trying to get into the best colleges. You, you try to apply for the best awards and the best speaking positions that you possibly can to, to improve and, and further along your business. Uh, and the fact that I was chosen was, was um, a, a very great honor for us. Fantastic. Now, you were in Miami before Austin, and you were in there for about 15 years That's or right. so on and off sometimes. That's right. And you went to school in Miami? No. So I went to undergrad at Purdue in engineering okay. and then um, spent five years in the Bay Area, went back to Indiana University for an MBA, and then uh, joined Goldman Sachs full-time, first in New York and then in Miami for three years. Okay, got it. So you get to come back, back to to home, right? Yeah, Miami is still, I guess, home for us. We have uh, my f- my family retired down there, and I've got uh, three siblings that are living there right now. In fact, today I had the uh, the birth of my third uh, niece. What? Yeah, <laughs> it's an exciting day. That's really exciting. Now, with your experiences traveling for school for work, and this will transition us into a. a part of the conversation about what your plans are to to help continue the momentum to diversify tech and this community. What have been some of your experiences so far up to this point with that topic? So I was born in Brazil, um, and when I moved to Miami, I was part of a a very diverse school. We had 5,000 kids, which is higher than a lot of people's colleges, and it was uh, extremely crowded, and they bust people in from all over town. And uh, the minorities were the majorities there. So the typical African American and Hispanic populations were actually more than fifty percent at that school already. 
so I grew up with that, and same in Brazil. Brazil is is very inclusive, and, and a lot of people are of color, and and nobody pays any attention to that. There's not a, a whole lot of that white and black talk that we have here. Um, but going from that to being less than one percent Hispanic when I moved to Indiana, I started to notice, you know, some racial problems. If you were Hispanic in the Midwest, most likely you were very poor or you worked the farms or the kitchens and things like that, and you were automatically Mexican. Whether that's a good or bad thing or whether that's a title that, that people were giving, you know, all over the place. It, it was a terrible uh, thing for, the, for very smart people in high schools and colleges to think that if you're South American, you're definitely you know Mexican and you are definitely not as smart or, or inferior in any sort of way so it, it's always been uh, something that you have to that you have to fight and and challenge um, fortunately I didn't see that in the Bay Area and um, and you certainly don't see that in Miami where such a huge portion of the population is Hispanic right and I'm also curious, when did you first get into tech? Is that when you went to school, was that on your mind already or was that a newer thing? When, 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 what was your journey? What does that look like? I've had the entrepreneurial bug um, for a long, long time. Even as, as a kid, I, I was the. What were you doing the, as a kid? The hustler as a kid. What, I, were you, what were you doing? I mean, it started with washing cars around the neighborhood to be able to buy sucker soakers for all the kids. Um, we, If you play tennis, the little anti-vibration thing that, that you used to use on, on the tennis rackets to prevent the racket from vibrating so much in your hand looked a lot like, to, in my opinion, like a, like a sponge that your mom has in the kitchen. So we chopped up a bunch of those sponges and went around selling it to all the tennis players in the, in the country club. I started stringing rackets, which was a phenomenal deal for me because my dad bought the $1,000 machine and all the strings, and I just had to do the labor and, and get paid like $25 per racket. Um, then I started teaching summer camp. I held three jobs uh, at any one point in high school, um, and, and it wasn't that that we were you know poor that I had to support our family or anything. But it was just a matter of pride and wanting to be able to pay my own way in school and pay for my own things and be able to afford you know nice dinners if I wanted to. Right. Now, what led you to your startup? Now, I th- I think it had a little bit to do with. Um, managing money for wealthy families uh, at Goldman Sachs and being inspired by some of the entrepreneurs that I spoke with, seeing and and learning that most likely uh, in the corporate world, you're not going to become extremely rich. You're not going to retire by 40 in the corporate world. You're going to have a nice, solid job with a three to five percent raise every year and maybe you'll become a manager and and uh and get a pension and actually nowadays there's no such thing as pensions but you're gonna build up an s egg and i worked by the way at general electric 3m dow chemical kpmg and goldman sachs i've worked at some major companies but i i decided this was the right time and this was a, a a big enough pain point for people that was truly frustrating to pay two to three dollars a minute when he traveled abroad. It's outrageous. It's nuts. And it, and we thought that there was there had to be a better way. 2013, there was Skype around and WhatsApp was around, but there was no really an ability for you to receive calls on your own number and make calls, displaying your caller ID so put people wouldn't avoid your calls. 
so that led me to um to say let's do it you know let's let's start my own thing and, and let's uh see how that goes so i bootstrapped it for the first uh eight months and was able to convince a, a phenomenal investor to to join us did you do that while in austin I actually did it in Miami. I, I sent a, a bunch of cold emails. There was a, a company in town called Telecom Ventures. I, I read about it. They, they were a VC. There was no no information about who they were or what they were. Emailed them a couple times. They replied back saying they were, were not interested, not interested, not a fit. And I finally convinced them to, to grab coffee. And that led to some more conversations. And they became our first founder, a huge supporter of our company, brought along uh, a phenomenal board, an ex-CEO of T-Mobile International, ex-CIO of Deutsche Telekom, and really gave us uh, a brand that we could, you know, feel comfortable talking to the big boys afterwards. If you could give advice for someone who is going to take their startup through pitches for investment, what, what do you think, looking back on your experience with that, what is your number one takeaway? I don't know that I have a number one, but I have a, a top five. Uh, yes, let's uh, do that. I, so number one... The pitch deck is a work of art, and it should be. You should spend some money if you're not a great designer in creating the absolute best, prettiest pitch deck that you can possibly have. Because it's not just about what you're saying; it's what they feel when they are reading and looking through it. So, having a, a very pretty and well thought out pitch deck is important. Follow the, the the rules that you see. You know, here are the top ten slides. On actual pitching, um, the Josh Bear, the managing director here at Capital Factory, has instilled in us the importance of storytelling and how effective people are when rather than just going through, here's the problem statement, here's the solution, here's the market size. But if you can create an entire story around what you're doing and so the slides flow very, very nicely, uh, that's a, a critical piece. The the this last part, um, which we're now very very focused on, and so many people I think lose track of, and and see the Pinterest and Twitters and Facebooks of the world that say we're just gonna build something really cool and we're gonna hope that a lot of people use it and then we'll try to monetize it later. I think is a, a mistake, especially outside of Silicon Valley. Definitely in Texas, definitely in Miami, definitely throughout the Midwest. You really need to have a, a company that starts to generate revenue and and has that clear vision of a business plan. Even if um, you know, uh, even if you hurt on the number of users, it's more important, I think, to to really get some paying users because otherwise you're more of a hobby than than an actual business. Makes sense. It's good. And now being in EIR, your number one mission is to grow your startup, but the, your other mission is to try to help grow the community mm-hmm. with diversity. Mm-hmm. So what's on your mind with that? There's a lot of great things already being done. Um, I, I don't see a concerted effort to, to do it jointly. So I've met with the um, Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, I, I'm a mentor for University of Texas the uh, Longhorn startup class. So I teach and help, I help teach, I should say. I, I'm one of the mentors that, that helps uh, a couple companies succeed. I'd like to um, start a, a better internship program for UT. 
currently the, the EIR program, Code 2040, doesn't have any uh, Texas-based companies. So I'd like to, to help change that to improve uh, minorities in tech here in Austin locally. Also UT, I'd like to start a, a pipeline program and for undergrads and for high school students to start learning about technology from an earlier age, tinkering with things like the Raspberry Pi or how to create a WordPress site and start making some money on, uh, you know, in high school because every kid nowadays can create a WordPress site and make a bunch of money for their parents or their, uh, you know, local businesses or church, help them put that together. It's so easy. Every kid nowadays has such great technology sense and knows how to build their Facebook page and Pinterest and Twitter page. They can create a WordPress site and they can start making some money in tech and be seen as, as the local tech guru, which then, you know, leads to jobs, leads to more minorities in tech. I mean, if we can just get the people that are studying engineering and STEM and, you know, computer science to go into those disciplines, the, the problem would just about go away. But the, the, the major issue, as I'm sure you've, you've heard and know, is there's close to 20% minorities in, in tech and then closer to 9% actually go into the field. And I'm actually uh, part of that statistic, I, I believe. I, I studied chemical engineering and ended up going into engineering sales, technical sales. Which I think still kind of counts, but uh, you know it wasn't. It's not the traditional engineering route. Um, so in the end, uh, it, it's all about fostering and, and improving the chance of success for students and and having uh, mentors in place to teach them what can be done, how they can do it, uh, giving them the confidence and instilling the uh, the work ethic to to want to go out and do it. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to share with me your story and what you're working on. And if there's any final things on your, on your mind, mm -hmm. on your heart about diversifying tech, your startup, mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur in tech, what is, what's on, what's on your heart? Um, I, so yeah, I've got some words of, of, you know, parting words, <clears throat> both for the entrepreneurs and for owners of companies, managers of companies doing the hiring. So first off to the, managers and uh, the hiring people and, and people that own companies, it, it may feel like you're taking a chance by hiring uh, a minority student or a, a minority because maybe they don't look like you, they don't talk like, like you, they don't act like you, or, or, or you, you just don't have any in your staff and in your team because you, you just people in general tend to congregate around people that look like them and talk like them and have gone to the same schools as them but trust me and trust the numbers and trust any, everything that you read about the importance of having that minority person in your team the way they'll help you think differently they'll help you understand such a huge portion of the population they'll they'll bring in a, a whole different mindset to how you should launch how you should uh, design so it's a critically important thing on the other side, for the minority entrepreneurs, um, it feels easy to kind of hide behind 
look, the numbers are terrible. You know, we're just 1% of tech management. We don't fund comp- find companies. It's very hard for a minority to be able to go out and get funding. I, I, the, the, the deck is stacked against us, so I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to bother. Or I'm just going to, you know, complain or, or be negative or, or pessimistic about the chances of my success. I think you really have to just forget about all that and take the approach, take the leap, go out and seek mentors and advisors that are going to help you along the way, build that network of people that can uh, can be there for you and can keep you positive, get rid of anybody that says no and you're not going to do it and use that fuel to really burn that uh, the fire that uh, is in you to go out and create that company and you will get funded just have the you know solid business in place maybe you don't need to get funded yeah even better is grow some revenues and uh, and start a business the old-fashioned way of making some really good stuff that people want to buy just like you were saying earlier you don't uh, necessarily have to just create something i hope we get a lot of users and we you know we do something but really uh building something of value that you can start getting some revenue and some validation so man this has been fantastic listening Thank to you so this. much I appreciate I'm, I'm really excited about what you're doing so if someone is in austin they need to connect with you and they need to come by capital factory and this is one of the the one of the last interviews that we're doing on this in this season highlighting other new entrepreneurs and residents and and a you know I might, I might plug this at the end of some of these other episodes but you know capital factory has been so great to us during this time it's been so much fun to, to to have this room to be able to talk with with all the eirs so um this is a real special place so for someone who's in town how can they either connect with you come by capital factory all that mm-hmm. yeah we're super accessible capital factory uh, as a whole has tons and tons of events that we host every uh, every day and uh, myself, I mean, uh, you're welcome to uh, shoot me an email. I'm at marcos at urome.com, Y-O-U-R-O-A-M. Our Twitter handle is just urome and um, Facebook as well. But we are always looking for partners. Um, we, we really are, are, would love to, to get into um, B2B2C, so companies that need this type of technology to enable their users to make phone calls using their own phone number. We're doing a, a major partnership with uh, 4,000 airplanes, so you'll be able to use your phone directly on an airplane. We love the cruise industry, the maritime industry, anybody in um, that wow. has yeah. That's anybody. awesome. So the, so if you big things happen. can yeah, if you can Euro. think of ways for uh, a partnership with Eurom, we always love to hear those. And uh, thank you so much for your time and and, and uh, learning a little bit about us. Thanks for listening. This season of Techpreneurs is powered by the Nashville Entrepreneur Center in support of the Google for Entrepreneurs Tech Hub Network. To learn more about Code 2040 and how to apply to be an entrepreneur residence, go to code2040.org slash entrepreneurs. We hope you join us next time when we talk to Ania Williams, founder and CEO of Tinsel. She's the Code 2040 entrepreneur residence at Galvanize. I really have great optimism about where things are headed. I think that there is there is a lot of work to be done, but I'm seeing across the board, it's not just kind of this core community of, of the minorities who are like trying to unite to make something happen and nobody cares. Like every, it seems like, you know, more and more people are caring on the other side. So I, I have a really, really uh, 
great outlook on how this can, can all turn out. So, yeah. Thanks, and we'll see you soon on another episode of Techpreneurs.